Wonderful. Well, here we are. Good to see, gosh, everybody plus out there. I, uh, I'm very excited, actually, for, for several reasons. One, I've had, I have to say, one of the best weeks of my life, really, a special gift from Mother, and I'm going to share a lot of the reasons why. And uh, there's only been a few moments in my life that have been similar to my experience in the last week. And uh, every one of them came at, a, at the end of a, of a great... <laughs> don't want to overstate it or be dramatic, but a great tribulation, you know, a lot of inner turmoil, a lot of uh, trying to work through things or figure things out or to find some stability. And uh, just when you really resign, really, to the fact that this is just the way it's going to be, it's been my experience uh, that that's always a time that mother steps in and, uh, and just teaches you something of love, teaches you something of grace teaches you something of acceptance. And uh, I want to talk about some of that this morning, but wander into many other things as well. I want to start uh, with St. John of the Cross, as soon as we finish starting with Hafiz, that is. Uh, He makes some wonderful statements about spiritual life and spiritual habits, which is really what we're trying to talk about and trying to understand. It's always a great confusion in spiritual life because... uh, you know, as a Swami, I've been speaking now for, what, six, six years, I guess. And uh, uh, after a while, you start getting, or I start feeling a little bit insecure because I start realizing that I keep saying the same things over and over and over again. And, uh, and then you read the gospel and you realize that, that uh, Takor did the same thing. So <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, don't feel so bad about that. And But it made me wonder, what is it in spiritual life, what is the key, what is the thing that I'm missing that I can keep hearing the same things over and over and over again and yet somehow not understand them, not ascend to them, not to, to, to be able to plumb the depths of them. And I think that uh, Swami Banishananda has given us that answer quite a few times this weekend, that it's in the practice that if you're not content with what you know of God, don't write out a question about it. Don't raise your hand about it. Sit down and do your practice. Add time to your practice. Add quality to your practice. Add effort to your practice. Add your heart to your practice. And see if that doesn't make a big difference for you. Do the things that you know you should do, but you give your perm- yourself permission not to do. That's surrender. That's giving up. That's letting go of the ego and, and living according to the word of the beloved. Taking the, 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 the suggestions, the advice of love itself for the quality of your life to improve and to grow. Hafiz writes a poem about it, of course. He has a poem for every occasion. Today he says, I've read this one before. I'm not going to say that again. I say that every lecture. I'm not going to say that I said it again every lecture. Again, the work starts. As soon as you open your eyes in the morning, hopefully you got some good rest last night, why go out into the city or the fields without first kissing the friend? The friend who always stands at your door. It only takes a second. Habits are human nature. Why not create some that will mint gold? 
Your arms are really violin bows, always moving. I have become very conscious upon whom we all play. Thus my eyes have filled with the warm, soft oceans of divine music, where the jeweled dolphins dance and leap out into this world. That idea, at first when I thought, when I read where jeweled dolphins dance, then leap out into this world, part of my mind kind of rolls its eyes and thinks, oh, that's a little new agey for me. Uh, but when I begin really thinking about what that means experientially, that within you is divine love, pure love, completely free of condition, full of grace, full of compassion, and it stands behind the gate of your mind. And in the purity of your mind, you throw open those gates you stop with the ideas of me and mine that limit your ability to, 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 to express that love, to let it flow out in its torrents. But that divine love within you creates ideas in your mind, creates images in your mind. Those images then turn into actions, and those actions are your jeweled dolphins leaping out into this world. So earlier there was a question about the selfishness of practice, which was resonated with me because that was my, one of my first questions to Swami Prabhutananda in the monastery. My only tasks were all in the monastery. I was the only guy in the monastery, and I was spending a lot of time doing my practice and washing dishes and, and doing things like that. And I asked him, I said, God, this seems really selfish to me. I, I joined the order to do great things. <laughs> I joined the order to, to, to lead the army and wave my flag and, you know, Take, take Thakur's message to the millions. I said, why is it that, that this practice seems so selfish? And he says, well, it is selfish. It's very selfish. He says, the problem is, is that your sense of self is very small. <laughs> he said, through your practice, you'll understand that yourself embraces everyone, that there's no one outside of that boundary. And your living for yourself will be your living for the better and service of everyone. And I thought, what a beautiful idea that is, worthy of our practice, worthy of our sacrifice, and worthy of our surrender. Eckhart Tolle, everybody probably has heard of him. He wrote a great book, which probably many people have read, called uh, The Power of Now. And in this book, he talks about his, uh, a, a spiritual experience that he has. He, he calls it his enlightenment experience. Uh, some might have different names for it because it was very definitely for him an experience. So it wasn't Nervikalpa, but it was a vision of the divine. And he makes some very interesting points about it that I think will be very helpful for us. As you know, he struggled a lot with depression, with severe depression. And uh, there's a lot of people in the world today struggling and suffering from severe depression. And so when I, when I know that and then I see a spiritual experience happen in the midst of that, my attention goes up and I think I want to know what he's talking about. He woke up one night in the middle of the night and uh, as many of you know, in the middle of the night when you wake up, certain ideas become amplified in your head that in the morning don't seem nearly as important as they did when you woke up in the middle of the night. So he woke up in the middle of the night with, with this severe, severe depression going on in his mind. And uh, he was <laughs> not feeling good about himself and feeling uh, that, that he, he couldn't go on anymore. And he said to himself, I cannot live with myself any longer. This was the thought that kept repeating itself in my mind. So he's suicidal. He's thinking about ending it. He says, this was the thought that kept repeating itself in my mind. Then suddenly I became aware of what a peculiar thought it was. 
Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, there must be two of me, the I and the self that I cannot live with. Maybe I thought only one of them is real. He fell asleep with this idea and woke up a couple of hours later, and he says, I was awakened by the chirping of birds outside the window. I had never heard such a sound. My eyes were still closed, and I saw the image of a precious diamond. Yes, if a diamond could make a sound, this is what it would be like. I opened my eyes. The first light of dawn was filtering through the curtains. Without any thought, I felt, I knew, that there is infinitely more to light than we are aware That soft luminosity filtering through the curtains was love itself. Tears came into my eyes. I got up and I walked around outside the window. I'd never heard such of the sound of birds filling my ears like this before. I recognized the room as I walked around and yet I knew that I had never truly seen it before. Everything was fresh. Everything was pristine, as if it had just come into being. I picked things up, a pencil, an empty bottle, marveling at the beauty and the aliveness of it all. That day I walked around the city in utter amazement at the miracle of life on earth, as if I had just been born into it. For the next five months, I lived in a state of uninterrupted, deep, peace and bliss. After that, it diminished somewhat in intensity, or perhaps it just seemed to because I became my returned to my natural state. I could still function in the world, although I realized that nothing I ever did could possibly add anything to what I already had. There are so many beautiful things in that that are a promise to you. If I were to ask you, and I wanted to ask, and if we were in a small group, you would have already written it down on a piece of paper, I would say to you, ask you, what, what are the things in your life that you are most thankful for? And most of us would say things like, my children, my family, you know, my, my job, my life, whatever, all these things, my spiritual practice even. But God has given us something infinitely more beautiful, infinitely more powerful, desperately more beautiful than any of those things. This grace, this promise, that every one of us will at least have this experience. All of us are going home. Takor says, some of you will come in the morning, some of you will have to wait till lunch, some of you will have to wait till after dinner, and then my group will come up after sweeping the kitchen. (laughs) But this is a promise that the Beloved has made to you. You're coming home. It hasn't happened yet, perhaps, but that's not to say it won't happen before this evening, or tomorrow morning, or tomorrow afternoon. To come to this understanding that you are divine, infinite, pure, blissful, light itself. 
that you will see one day that lights don't come from bulbs, that it's not light coming in the windows. It's love itself. You have been promised that you will live in a world where you know and understand that the light around you is not a material substance thing of maya, but is the radiant and divine love of God all around you, permeating you and everything around you, feeding the plants, the animals, nurturing, giving comfort, taking care, and literally providing life with everything it needs to exist. Love itself. We, 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 we wake up to a mundane world every day where we think we know everything. We've assumed everything. And I remind us of it because even though we mention it all the time, we still don't seem to be able to wake up to it. We look around, our faces are so ordinary. Our interactions are so ordinary. If we understood what we were seeing, that beloved in each other's eyes, if we understood the potential of what we're working at, if we could even catch a moment's glimpse of what it is that has been given to us, what a delight, what a difference a world would be. That you would then walk around for months knowing that nothing you could ever do could possibly add anything to what you already have. A lot of the joy that I've been experiencing uh, very, very happily about, and, and I learned Benish Nandasozi Legal to talk about these things. <laughs> I'm going to mention it just for encouragement, not for accomplishment, because I really had nothing to do with it. All of this that we talk about in spiritual life is a gift. It comes free of charge. It's not even associated with your effort, although we talk about it like that all the time as if our practice were going to do the nth hour of meditation and boom, then we get our realization. We're going to reach the nth level of purity and then boom, we're going to see God. That's not how it is. You will see God by grace. You will see the divine, the reality, because of love. Because it's the nature of love to give everything to you. Free of charge. For no other reason than its own sake. When I sit in meditation, it's changed because I used to have this idea, I need to sit here and I need to do this japa and I used to get frustrated when my mind would wander. I would get disappointed when I had bad meditations. I would start to avoid meditation because I was so bad at it. You know, because some of the worst thoughts I've ever had in my life seemed to pop up when I was sitting before the beloved. And these things you struggle and you wrestle with, and then I thought, maybe there's a different way. You know, I read, we're reading right now on Wednesday mornings, this wonderful book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And the practice of the presence of God is to know that the divine love is all around you at all times. That that divine idea, the highest, the highest ideal of love, the highest ideal of warmth, of compassion. This is what God is. You know, in the practice, in the mundane world, the material world that we live in, God has become a strange word. It's become a perverted word. It's become a word of judgment, a word of anger, a word of division, a word of separation, a word of denying rights and giving rights, of special rights and whatever, nonsense. Things that God him, herself just would have nothing to do with, is nothing to do with. 
It's the play of ignorance, a play of misunderstanding. God is your highest ideal. It is the person you love the most times infinity. It is the child you feel the most tender about times infinity. That is the beloved. God is just a word for that. You could never point at a thing called God because it's beyond anything you can imagine. And it's your nature. It's what makes you breathe. It's what beats your heart. It's what keeps your body temperature going. It's your very existence. The very matrix of this reality that allows you to think you exist is a gift from the beloved. He has given you his I am. He has given you that as a gift. Everything that you experience because of that I am, because you can say I am, everything that you've done, everything that you've seen, everyone that you love, everything that you care about, is associated with the gift of the beloved. He's given you himself, his very nature, I am, I exist. And that thing that we sing about, the poems that we write, the dreams that we have, the relationships that we invest in, are for love. God is love. Everything special to you is of the nature of God herself that gift to you, to experience that divinity, to know that divinity. We often wonder, do we believe in God? Is there such a thing as God? You're asking the wrong question. Do you believe in love? Does love exist? Can you see love? Yes, you can. It's everywhere around you. It's experienceable even now. Turn to your neighbor and give them a hug. There will be love there. The giggles of discomfort afterward, as pleasant as they are, would be a gift of love because of love. So your I amness, your being, the love that you crave and, and enjoy so much in this world, from God. Your ability to change is the third gift he's given you, of him very self, his very self. Intelligence. What is intelligence? It's the ability to stop making the same mistake again and again and again. That's a gift. To be able to grow and to transcend. That is God himself in you. A gift to go along with your existence, to go along with your love. He's given you the intelligence that you might one day find that you are that that you are your own best gift (laughs) in that sense. But how do we reach that? How do we get to that place? How do we understand that? The Peace Pilgrim had a similar experience that I like to read. And I chose these people because they're not swamis. Uh, They're they're not monks. Uh, Many of them weren't even religious. They were just people who were true, who were earnest, who were sincere. And the beloved gave himself to them. The peace pilgrim, you know, she walked out of her house for the sake of peace one morning. She was living in the period of the Cold War where there was the threat of nuclear war all all around all the time. There was a stress in schools. We were going through little (laughs) hilariously useless practices of climbing under our desk in case of a nuclear attack. (laughs) 
So you die under the desk instead of in the chair. What, <laughs> what's the good of that, you know? But she lived in a period like that. What did she do? She walked out of her house and she vowed that she would not step into a home again, that she would speak only of peace, only of love, until she died. And she says when she was on her journey, she walked back and forth across this country something like 10 times, 14 times, I don't know, some inordinate number of miles, walking the entire time, staying wherever place was, was found. And there's many stories in her book. We've got it in the, in the bookshop in, out there, the, the Peace Pilgrim, where she just talks about what that life was like and what she learned. And it was one morning, she says, I was out walking. It was early in the morning. And all of a sudden, I felt very uplifted, more uplifted than I ever had been. I remember I knew timelessness and spacelessness and lightness. I did not seem to be walking on the earth, but every flower, every bush, every tree, everything seemed to wear a halo. There was a light emanating around everything. It seemed as if there were flecks of gold that fell like slanted rain through the air. The most important part was not the phenomena. The important part of it was the realization of the oneness of all creation. That unity. A gift from the beloved. A gift that you can use your intelligence, your being, and your love to find, to touch to experience. When you sit to meditate, instead of, to me- instead of meditating to realize something, assume you already know it. Assume that you don't have to work to be with God. Assume that you don't have to be pure to find his approval, to find his love for you, to find his grace. Assume that actually there was nothing that you needed to do except accept, to take the gift. Allow yourself to trust in that love. Sit and enjoy the beloved for a moment and stop the working for something that's already been given to you. You walk in God. You breathe him in. You exhale him. You eat him. You sleep in him. You've never seen anything but him. You've never experienced anything but him. Begin assuming that freely, openly. When you sit down to do your meditation and the idea of your beloved enters the mind, know that he's with you. Know that he is already aware of everything you want to hold up to keep yourself separate. And he has chosen to bring you near. He's chosen to give you a moment of thought with him, unjudged, free, to experience your infinity in a moment by getting lost from time, not realizing that time is even passing in his company. Make assumptions about your relationship with the beloved. Accept the gift of grace. Now everybody's mind is like, but, 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 but. No buts. Because what will happen is your mind will turn. And instead of working for something, instead of being a slave to something, instead of being beaten from behind to attain, to reach, to do, I've got to do one more hour of meditation, I've got to do 500 more japas, 
I've got to go to that lecture. <laughs> you know, I have to go do, do karma yoga, the temple. Instead of doing it from that perspective where, you, where, where you're going to get something or work for something or purify something or get a better birth or whatever it is, whatever fantasy you've arranged for yourself to work for, get rid of it. And go because you already have it. Go in response to grace and not in search of grace. Sit with the beloved and know that he's already with you. That it's not a matter of separation. It's a matter of you not accepting, not opening and not seeing. Wanting to pay attention to your faults, to your shortcomings, to your separateness, to your doubt. Lay those things aside. There's a poem by Hafiz where a young disciple goes to his guru and says, I want to talk to you about the problems of my attachments. And the guru looks at him and said, oh, we can certainly do that. But why would you ever come to the well of immortality and bliss to talk about your problems? Is that really what you want to think about? Is that really what you want to know about? Set them down. Let go of them. And let God fill your mind. Let grace fill your mind. Sri Nishigadatta, who is very much an Advaitist, is talking uh, with one of his disciples. And he says to him, from my point of view, everything happens by itself, quite spontaneously. But man imagines that he works for an incentive, imagines that he works toward a goal. He has always a reward in mind and strives for it. To want nothing and to do nothing, that is true creation. To watch the universe emerging and subsiding in one's heart is a wonder. The questioner says to him, well, is there no need for effort then? Maharaj says, when effort is needed, effort will appear. When effortlessness becomes essential, it will assert itself. You need not push life about. Just flow with it. Give yourself completely to the task of the present moment, which is the dying now to the now. For living is dying. Without death, life cannot be. You see, it's taking your, your self out of the wheel of samsara, stepping back from your karma. Karma exists in the mind. Karma doesn't hold you down. It's your refusal to let go of your karma that holds you down by believing your identity with the mind. How do you know that? Because one of the things the scripture said about God is that he keeps no record of wrongs. God is love divine. He's not the one keeping the tally. You're keeping the tally. Your mind is the machine of cause and effect. Your mind is the machine of relativity. Your mind is what holds your responsibility to this world, to your mistakes, and the identities that you've tied up to it. And it's your mind that won't let go. How do I know that? Because mother told me that. Mother says you can have your realization this moment if you want it if you want it. But the ego won't let it because to accept infinite grace, what? Requires infinite humility. 
To accept infinite grace means to acknowledge that you are nothing. You have nothing to contribute. You have nothing to give. You have nothing to offer. You're like the teenager whose only money is coming from his father, from his weekly allowance, you know, and then goes out and buys his father something, gives it to him. Thinks, ah, what a great gift I've given to my father. I'm talking from experience on that one, actually. I've shared that story before. (laughs) I was shopping for my Father's Day gift. My my mother gave each of us kids, my two brothers and myself, $20. Go buy your dad a Father's Day gift. So we're running around the PX on base trying to find a gift for our father. And I was 13, so I was smart enough to understand what was going on, and it started to bother me a little bit. I was like, why doesn't dad just come down with this $20 and get what he wants? <laughs> why, why am I doing this? What is this about? It's the play, right? I bought my father a little Snoopy statue that said, think snow. Why? I don't know. I liked it. I gave it to him. He loved it. He still has it. <laughs> Cares about it a great deal. But the reality of it was that I had nothing to give my father except for love by accepting his gift to me and returning it, transformed by my love for him. That is your condition in your practice. That is your condition as you speak your words of japa, as you sit in your shrine, as you make your offerings, as you do your karma yoga. You have nothing to give. But to do it with the understanding that God has given you all of that and is allowing you to transform its shape, its size, its taste, its smell, and to return it to him, transformed by your reflected love, is a beautiful, renewing, spontaneous, and special thing. And it will result in seeing what these people have seen. This world becomes new. It becomes different. It's no longer demanding. It's no longer ensnaring. You can enjoy it freely as long as the thought of the beloved and your returning gift to him is your understanding of what you're doing and what you're involved in. So how do we go there? How do we get there? It's a wonderful verse in Galatians. I'm going to go from the Bible here for a few moments. Galatians, Paul is writing to these folks at this new church, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, most of us don't have Christian samskaras, so we're not shivering in our boots at this moment. Those that do, throw them out. Hear this newly, in a new way. Give up your ego, your sense of self. What is that sense of self? It's the thing that's holding you down. It's the thing that's making you repeat behaviors that have not allowed you to realize any of these stories, any of these descriptions. Why hold on to ego? It's the thing that keeps you from understanding that the light coming from that fixture is divine love and that it's shining all around us and that it's what's allowing us to see each other and to experience each other. And in our case, it's allowing us to see yet another image, another reflection of the divine. Someone whose life was so pure that we can actually believe it. 
someone whose life was so loving that we can actually trust it. Someone who cared so deeply that we could actually hear it. And in response, what? We transform it into music, into sangha, into temple, into image, and create an oasis. Create a place where our existence and our love and our intelligence can come together to return a gift transformed to our beloved. That your life is that essence. Abandon your ideas. When you get up in the morning, don't inquire of the mind, what shall I do today? Turn to your beloved who is there with you, who actually heard the thoughts before you thought them. And say, what shall we do today to express what we are, to express love, to express intelligence, to celebrate existence? When you go on a walk, don't stand out in the front door and say, where shall I walk today? Turn to your beloved and say, where are we going? She knows already. She's mapped it out for you. Who will we serve? Ask. One of the beautiful things in the Peace Pilgrim, she says, we tend to skim right over the present time. Since this is the only moment that one can live, if you don't live it, you never really get around to living at all. If you do live this present moment, you tend not to worry. For me, every moment is a new opportunity to be of service. Every moment. Of course, the secret is that there's only one moment, one eternal moment with no beginning and no end. It's us who has the beginning and end <laughs> as we walk through it with an ego. Thank goodness, thank goodness, you know, that we're not immortal in this form. Goodness, look what 54 years has done to this thing. <laughs> What's another thousand going to do to it? Forget it. I want to drop this thing off immediately. Return to the beloved. So drop that ego, drop that sense of I that's attached to this body, that's attached to this mind, because honestly, it has never done anything but cause you suffering. Will you realize that? Will you realize that? All those pleasures that you collect, do you not realize they're the cause of your suffering when they disappear? Because they're not there anymore. That piece of cake that you spend so much time thinking about eating how long can you enjoy it? Stick out your tongue. How long is your tongue? That's how long that enjoyment will last for you. That's it. There's a wonderful country western song. You know, the problem with my drinking is that I'm always looking at the bottom of an empty glass. It always comes to an end, short-lived. But it's the ego that drives you to that pleasure. It's metering out of love to you. It's, it's miserliness in the way that it contains the beloved within its own boundaries. Afraid, small, scared, unsure, never knowing. Why hold on to that? Let go of your idea of self and put your mind on others. In Ephesians, Paul, writing another letter, says, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside your old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with its lust of deceit. 
that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on a new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and in truth. He goes on to say to the Philippians, More than that, I count, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them but rubbish that I have gained him. That's the attitude toward our pleasures, toward our desires, toward our dreams, toward our aspirations, toward our ambitions. Rubbish. Throw them out. They are worthless. They are nothing to you. They are nothing to the world. Only thing in you that is anything to this world is the image of the beloved that has been firmly planted there to shine, to reflect that divine nature, to reflect that divine love. The only thing good in you is God. If you take that personally, you haven't laid it down yet. <laughs> if you see that as an insult, it's because you're clutching to something false still. Clutch to that divinity, and a sentence like that is freedom. A sentence like that is bliss. It's an opportunity, an opportunity for service. He lays out a very interesting way of, of preparing yourself to come to this state, because that's really where our practice hits the ground, right? He says to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, when that day, you know, when that ego starts to raise itself up, that somebody bothers you one time too many, you get cut off in traffic one time too many, the day of evil has arrived, <laughs> how you react. He says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand your ground. What is your ground? Love, existence, service, caring, compassion, a deep, a deep desire of our knowing of oneness with all things. Stand your ground, and after that you have done everything to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's the number one thing, the thing holding your pants up, the belt around your waist. If you're in a sorry, you have to imagine. <laughs> Put a buckle of truth around your waist. What is truth? It's that integrity that we talk about, right? That lining up of what you say, what you do, and what you think. To take one step forward in spiritual life, those three things must be in you. Truth, that integrity. Your mind, the things you think about. Your mouth, the things you say. Your actions, the things that you do, should all be in alignment. It's not sitting there, you know, thinking nasty things about somebody and giving them that, you know, what are they, a Cheshire grin. That fake love based on nothing. You know, it's not that. It's not that. Put on that belt of truth, that integrity. Test yourself. You know, earlier, Swami Bhaneshananda mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, uh, seeing that oneness, is your Vedanta real? And he mentioned gay and lesbian people, you know, and the transgender movement. It's a test for you. It is a test for us. Is that person comfortable here? Would they be comfortable coming out to you? sharing their life, introducing you to their partner. Are you big enough to love them, to not, be, to, to not be plussed by that? Your child comes out to you. 
I wonder, because if I were to say, oh, I know one or two or three people or four people or five people, I'm not going to give you a definite number, because I bet if I said I knew someone in this congregation that has come out to me, that immediately in your mind would be like, who, who would that be? <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's that person. Oh, it's that person. Oh, it's that person. But those thoughts come from a place of not being accepting of it, of not being open to it, of not feeling oneness with it. And it's not an accusatory statement that all of us are, are homophobes or all of us are racist or all of us are this, that, or the other. But how many people does it take in a room for the room to become unsafe? It takes one or two gossips. That's all. One or two gossips. Ask yourself, are you that one or two gossips that keeps this room from being a safe space for anybody, for somebody? No matter what their background is, it's very important because our love, our intelligence, and our existence has created this place as an oasis for us. Are we not everyone? Cannot mother invite anybody that she likes here without judgment? I'm speaking to myself in this also. Don't see all my fingers pointing at you. Do we see that oneness, that openness, do we see and feel that compassion for everyone, that acceptance for everyone? Are you thinking, saying, and doing in alignment? The second, he says, take that breastplate of righteousness and put it firmly into place. Breastplate, what does it protect? Your heart. What is your righteousness for? It's for the health of your heart. You do the right thing. Why? Because doing the right thing prevents you from developing biases and preferences and aversions. When you do wrong things, that, that, that increases the sense of the multiplicity. You start choosing, I like this better than that. I don't like that kind of person. I do like that kind of person. Oh, I don't hang out with that kind of person. I only hang out with this kind of people. Oh, what will people think if I'm caught talking to that person? You know. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Protect your heart. Do the right thing. What is the right thing? Love. Oneness, anything tending toward that unity is your freedom. Anything expressing that love is your salvation. Everything pushing toward the divine nature is that oneness. Put that on, protect your heart. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Have your feet ready like the peace pilgrim who sees every moment as an opportunity of service. That's, that's having your feet ready. You are ready for the command, right? A soldier isn't sitting there thinking, now I'm going to Safeway. <laughs> the soldier's waiting for the command. He's listening for the command. Whatever the sign is, a bugle horn or something, I have no idea. Whatever that sign is, he's being waiting and listening. That's our job, to open the ears of the heart. Listen. Mother is constantly trying to inspire you to right action. She's constantly trying to show you the right way, to find peace, to find compassion, to find strength, to find the will to live, to find the will to get up and try again. That's why God dressed himself as a mother, because his grace is infinite, and the only way any of us could ever believe that is through the, through the face of a mother. 
the only way we could hear that grace would be through the face of a mother. Or perhaps the face of a father for some of you. Or face of a brother. <laughs> or face of a god. Or a goddess. Or god. That was the wrong way to turn for that one. God. <laughs> the ungod. <laughs> Free even of that idea. Yes. Fit yourself, your feet with readiness. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith. Take up that shield of faith. What is our faith in? Do we have to believe things of fancy without evidence? No. No, faith is listening to the things that you know inside that you really, that don't fit with what's happening outside. What kinds of things are those? Well, take, uh, take for instance, this, uh, what, uh, what, what uh, Eckhart Tolle was doing. Listen to your own mind. You know, he say he heard himself saying, I can't live with myself anymore. I began thinking, if we were a smaller group, I'd have you writing down the second thing right now. What are some other things that you say that don't make sense in light of the theory of you being a body-mind? How about when I was talking to myself? How do you talk to yourself? You know, I reflected on that idea. What does that mean? I reflected. It means you were looking at something seeing something reflected back to you. What was being reflected? Why is that a word that everybody uses about thinking, reflection? That's, a, that's an insight. It's a pointer for us. Pay attention to things like that. They're fun and they're everywhere. Those notions and ideas. This faith is the knowing that you're infinite when you've never seen anything that's infinite. It's knowing that you're immortal when you've never seen anything that's immortal. Why? Because if that didn't exist, how would you know of it? How would you know of it if it didn't exist? You can't see it outside of you, so you must have brought it with you. You must have brought that into this world with you. The idea of your immortality and your infinity. This is faith. To act on what you know is right is faith. To be able to let go of your own needs and trust that they'll be taken care of is faith. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the beloved. Take this helmet of salvation. This is exactly what I was referring to earlier. You're protecting your mind, your brain, with what? The idea of salvation. Now, for Christians, what they're talking about there is the fact that you've been saved, that your price has been completely paid. But God has done that for all of us through multiple incarnations, through Thakur, through Buddha, through, through Jesus, through Rama, all of them standing together, every incarnation telling you, you're free. This is your real nature. This is available to you. You can have this. Take it. Run with it. Be free. It's the promise that's been given to you. Put that on your head. That's what's protecting your mind. That is the place you make decisions from. I'm free. I am love. You take those promises that God says, that, that Takwar said, or whoever your divine inspiration is. What are the promises? You will see God. Put that on your helmet. Keep that protecting your mind. All things work together for good to those that love God. It's another great promise. 
Put that in your mind. You can know God right now if you want to, Mother says. Put that in your helmet. Put this as the foundation, the thing that you protect your thoughts with, that you protect your attitudes with, that you protect your sense of self with. When you sit there, you know, in, 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 in the shrine and those accusatory things come to you, you've got that helmet of knowing, that helmet of salvation. I am free. I am infinite. I am one with the beloved. I am in the company of God. I am the expression and reflection of divine love. That's your helmet. That's what protects your mind from depression, from selfishness, from anger, from jealousy. Knowing what? Things like what Eckhart Tolle says, to know in this moment I cannot add one thing to myself that I do not already have. That's a great piece for your helmet of salvation. A great thing to, to, to put before all of your thinking. For no man can serve two masters. I'll close with that. Matthew 6, he says, No man can serve two masters. You can't serve yourself and the beloved. You can't, you can't maintain your ego and your spiritual life. One of them's going to go. One of them's going to go. If you're an Advaitist, my favorite sentence, it's not God who disappears. It's you. Don't be afraid. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and materialism. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or for your body, what you're going to put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Behold the birds of the air, they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one moment to your one inch to your stature? And why take you thought of your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even King Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass in the field, which today is and tomorrow is no more, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What am I going to eat, or what am I going to drink, or where shall I, how am I going to be clothed? For all of these things the ignorant seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness, and all of these things will be yours. Give yourself up to the beloved. Give up to love. Give up to faith. Give up to compassion, to service. Stop thinking that you're the one making all these things happen. I remember one day, I, I was uh, in, in 1997, I was part of an organization called the Shanti Project, and it was a group of volunteers that went to uh, AIDS patients who were living at home uh, who couldn't do things for themselves. And uh, I had a, 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 a client who was my same age. He was 27. And I went to his house one morning to, to do my daily <laughs> service for him. 
And there was a moving truck in front of his house and an old man coming in and out of the house with his stuff. And I came to the little gate and uh, the man stopped putting stuff in the truck and came over and said, hi, can I help you? And I said, uh, yeah, I'm here for, for Gary. He said, oh, who are you? I said, uh, I'm his Shanti Project volunteer. He says, well, Gary, Gary passed away. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize I still thought like that, but he passed away. And I was like, oh my God, he was fine yesterday. How did that happen? And I walked up to the top of this big hill that was at the end of the block from his house, and I sat up there, and I looked out, and I could see no evidence that Gary had passed away. The traffic was full on Market Street. The hikers were going up and down the hill. The sun was shining. The breeze was blowing. And I wrote a poem to Gary. I said, Gary... The whole ocean has closed over you. But I'll remember you. I'll think of you. Don't be afraid. <laughs> this world is crazy from the perspective of an ego. This world is hard from the perspective of an ego. That's because your ego is a lie. And working for it is your suffering. Let go of these things. Trust in the love of God. Know that the good in you is love. The good in you is divine. And it is the thing that will leave the mark on the world. Not how big your company gets. Not how well-educated your children are. Not that they're all handsome, pretty, beautiful, straight, rich, Indian, American, whatever. None of that is going to matter. They will die and the ocean will close around them. This world will not remember you. Unless you live for love. Unless you live for love. Live for love. Live for love. Live for love. Those are the people that get remembered. Live for love. Live for love. Live for love. Live for love. Those are the people that get honored in this world through the long term. Give yourself up. Let go of your ego and accept the gift of God's grace that you are one, that you are beautiful, that you are free, that you're infinite, ever pure. And in that, bliss will come in to fill every crevice of your heart. It will change your life. Just accept it. Assume that God loves you enough to cover everything. And don't forget By remembering what I told you. This is Sri Nishagadat again. By remembering what I told you, you will achieve everything. I'm telling you again. You are the all-pervading, all-transcending reality. Behave accordingly. Think, feel, and act in harmony with the whole. And the actual experience of what I say will dawn upon you in no time. No effort is needed. Have faith and act on it. Please see that I want nothing from you. Let's take a few moments to think about those things.
Why all of this talk of the beloved? Why all of this talk of music and dancing and liquid ruby light that we can lift in a cup? Because it is low tide, my friends, a very low tide in this age and around most hearts. We are exquisite coral reefs dying when exposed to strange elements. God is the wine ocean we crave that we miss flowing in and out of our pores. God bless us all. Thank <laughs> you.